Okay, well, good morning. You can tell I'm maybe not used to wearing one of these things. It's very fancy. Um, good morning. Um, well, first of all, um, I'd like to say my wife, uh, Lucy, and I. Lucy's sitting at the front. You may be met her already. I'm really excited to be with you um, this morning. Um, and as much as David will be stressing out um, this morning about the computer at, at SAF, I'm really happy that we've got a team at the back who are going to do that for us uh, flawlessly this morning. So it's nice um, to, be, uh, to have that privilege this morning. On a serious note, um, David, um, Pamela, Lucy and myself um, understand that Carrick Baptist um, have to continue to support the work at SCF um, so very much financially and in prayer as well. Um, and so can I say a huge thank you before I say anything else um, this morning, um, just a huge thank you for that. I want to start off this morning, though, um, just to get our brains um, in the gear and um, to get us thinking. Um, if you have your Bible there, if you could turn to John chapter 3, and we'll be looking at the second half of John chapter 3. Um, you can get your finger and put, keep it in the page there, John chapter 3. Um, but just to get our brains in the gear, to get us thinking, hopefully we'll be up on the screen there, um, I want to get us thinking about um, slogans, okay? Slogans, really short, catchy uh, statements businesses make on um, adverts, maybe on underneath their logos, you'll see them. Um, And I want you to have a look at the screen. Um, I want you to see uh, if you know any of the the slogans that that belong to some of the businesses um, on the screen. At SAF, I would maybe ask you to um, shout out the answer. This is a bigger room, but we'll maybe give it a go anyway. So if you know the answer, um, you can shout it out. Okay, so I'll give you the first one here. Just do it. Nike, yeah. That's an easy one. I'm loving it. McDonald's, yep, that's one of my favorite ones, unfortunately. Every little helps. Tesco, easy again, yep, there you go. Finger licking good. KFC, yep. Think different. Apple, this one, yeah, Apple, yep, it's a wee bit harder, that one. Think different. The wonderful every day, you'll know it. Oh, yeah, Ikea, someone got it straight away, yep. (laughs) I thought that would be hard. the wonderful every day, okay? And a bonus one, okay? Proclaiming Christ, planting churches. Baptist missions, yeah. It would be a shame if we didn't know that one. You have to throw that in case Mervyn's um, about, but yeah, Baptist missions, the last one, okay? So hopefully you got get your brain um, in the gear. I'm thinking last week, last Sunday, was the start of a new year, 2023. Um, last Sunday passed, thinking about slogans um, and thinking about the new year coming in. That got me thinking that actually... Sometimes humans have a sort of slogan as well. Maybe you'll have heard it referred to in the last week as a, a, a New Year's resolution, a special type of motto. Sometimes it doesn't last longer than a week. Um, but thinking about New Year's resolutions and slogans, maybe you've made one the last week, and maybe it's something like, I'm going to watch my diet this year because um, you are what you eat. That's maybe one for me. Um, Maybe it's something really admirable, like um, this year I'm going to focus on having joy in my Christian life and my Christian walk. Joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, then others, then ourselves. And thinking about slogans or New Year's resolutions and mottos. As we've been going through Luke's Gospel, actually, at SCF, um, they've been brought to my attention, maybe thinking this week, about a particular character from um, the Gospel narratives, and his name is John, John the Baptist. Um, and I'm sure 99% of us in this room all know lots about John the Baptist um, and who he was and what he did. And um, We maybe picture this man with untidy clothing, um, with untidy hair, um, a big beard, I don't know, um, eating wild locusts um, and honey in the wilderness and crying out about Jesus coming to the earth. 
And some of you already know where I'm headed with this, but John the Baptist um, in the story in the Gospels had a really unique and admirable motto, if you like, or a statement for his service to God. And we read that in John chapter 3. If you have your Bible there, it's in John chapter 3. And if you look at verse 30, what was that motto or that statement that John had that's really admirable? Well, he says in verse 30 there, he must increase, but I must decrease. Or in the NIV, if you have it there, he must become greater, thinking about Jesus And I, John the Baptist himself, must become less. Perhaps then as we continue to think about the new year that's that's come uh, and we're coming into 2023, that we'd really benefit from thinking um, about that rightfully famous verse um, this morning together. So if you do have that open, John chapter 3, we'll look from verses 22 down through to the end of the section in verse 36. So John chapter 3, verse 22, starting, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. Verse 24, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, verse 27, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then that famous verse, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God, whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you keep your finger in that passage there, let me just pray for us before we go um, any further. Um, Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you that um, in this country we can meet um, around your word and publicly. We don't have to to shy away or be afraid um, of authorities. We remember that there's brothers and sisters um, all over the world this morning who are maybe hiding um, to come and to meet around your words. We thank you for that privilege. We pray that we wouldn't take that for granted this morning. Um, We pray um, that you would speak to us through your word, that you'd open up the eyes of our hearts to see um, what you're saying to us through this passage just really briefly this morning, Father. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this passage uh, may be entitled um, John the Baptist Exalts Christ or John Testifies Again About Christ. If you look at the top of the section there in your Bible, what's it actually um, all about? Well, for context, if you flick back and you look at the start of John's gospel there, you'll see John's already recorded that um, John the Baptist has been sent ahead of Jesus, that John the Baptist's mission is to proclaim this promised Christ. And Jesus is that promised Christ. We've covered that. He's covered um, Jesus picking his first disciples and Jesus' first miracle um, and his first dispute um, with the Pharisees. And there's lots more than that, even in those first few chapters. He's been through quite a lot. 
And here, reaching chapter 3, um, if you flip back in your Bible, you read that really famous gospel passage there at the top there, where Jesus interacts with Nicodemus. And this character, Nicodemus, he comes, of course, we know the story, and asks Jesus how a man can be born again. In verse 3, we read that exact idea of coming to Christ, becoming a Christian, being born again. We see it written there as that. And as we said, that's the terminology for new spiritual birth, and um, becoming a Christian, as we say. And it'll maybe say in the footnote in your Bible, if you look at that verse 3, born again, that can describe someone who is from above in the original Greek. That's someone who is above and beyond this world. Um, someone, in other words, a citizen of God's dwelling place, heaven. And in our passage, verses 22 to 36, we see just that. We see Jesus, someone who is actually from above, who his citizenship is heaven. He is God himself. He's the Messiah from heaven. When you turn your eyes forward to our passage then in verse 31, the author John describes Jesus as the one who comes from above. And so as we think briefly about today's passage, we'll hopefully see this Messiah, one from above, and another man, John the Baptist, who knows he is under and servant to the real one who is important in this scene, who is above all. And seeing this, hopefully we can see a real exemplary motto using that verse, that we too can be true servants of Jesus this year following John the Baptist's example. So this passage, how do we put it together? How does it fit into a structure? I like structures. Um, personally, I like knowing things, how things go together, except um, Ikea furniture, as we're thinking about Ikea. I like knowing how things go together and how they break apart and um, fit together. So how do we break this passage down to remember it and hopefully take that home with us um, this morning in our hearts? Well, I believe we could split it up into, um, hopefully it'll be up on the screen there, four just bite-sized chunks um, that we could take home. Verse um, 22 to 24, first we were reminded that John the Baptist is, he's proactive. There it is there. And we're reminded in verses 25 to 29 that John the Baptist, he's passionate in his following of God. In verses 30 to 31, he's prideless as well. And we'll come back and discover if that's a real word or not. Don't worry. And verses 32 to 36, he's purpose-driven as well in his following of God. There's bound to be someone in this room thinking, I've been spending too much time with David Dixon. He loves to split passages down into three Ps. Um, but I promise, unintentionally, and um, this is um, how it came to me um, in the last week there. But hopefully those four points will help us um, really break down the passage and, and remember it this morning and take it away with us and be challenged by God's word. So first you were reminded that John the Baptist, in his following of God, is proactive. So you look again at verses um, 22 and the 26. There. Keep an eye on those verses uh, with me. 22 to 24, sorry. After this, 22, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing John was also baptizing at Ainon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Brackets for John had not yet been put in prison. Firstly, John the Baptist, he's proactive in his following of God. Way back in chapter one, um, John the author, he introduces Jesus, the promised savior to come as the light um, in the darkness that the world needs. And right after that introduction, way back in chapter one, just five verses into the gospel, John the author describes John the Baptist as the witness to that light. Jesus' witness sent from God to make Jesus coming known to the world. As the other gospels let us know, right from um, John the Baptist's day, even in the womb, he knew his sole purpose in life was to make Christ known, to point others to the light. And so having a calling from God, just like each of us actually do this morning, firstly, we get the right impression that throughout the gospels, if we were to look at, it, at all the accounts that John the Baptist 
really was proactive in his serving of God. And John knew that with such um, a high calling comes such a high responsibility. What's that? Well, God doesn't want us to be laid back, passenger seat, and religious people. God demands our whole lives and our whole service, doesn't he? Our whole devotion. That whole Jesus take the wheel idea isn't meant to be an excuse for um, lazy, laid back, unproductive followers of God. What God wants is a life totally given back to him in reverence and love because of what he's done for us through his son on the cross. And John the Baptist, looking forward, he knew that his life was to be devoted to this Messiah, to Christ. And in his proactive service, and we find John there, uh, firstly in verse 22, in a place called Anon. And what's he doing? Well, he's baptizing, if you look there. He's literally submerging in water, dunking people, you could say, in the name of God, baptizing. It's important that we clear up, firstly, what John's doing is he's baptizing here um, at this stage of the gospel narrative. What we mean as Baptists when we think of baptism is not some mad out-of-body experience or something that physically transforms in front of our very eyes. It's not a magic act, sure it isn't. What we think of and what we do as Baptists is an outward sign, really, isn't it, of a representation of, of something that's happened on the inside, transformation brought about by God's saving grace in someone's life. After someone comes to Christ in faith and repenting of their sins, that they're now, by God's grace, dead to their old life um, and sin, and now alive, born again by God's Spirit into new life. So the dunking down, coming back up, that's all a physical representation on a way of that inward change. Um, a believer identifying themselves with death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which gives them hope and a new life. But what was it like, as we read there, what was it like for John the Baptist as he famously baptized people at that time all those years ago? What's going on in this passage? Well, later on in John's gospel, and the author informs us that John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Paul, in fact, he later looks back on John's baptism and he explains it in Acts 19. He says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Quote, he told the people, to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Our baptism today is kind of much the same, bar the key difference that as people repented and saw the need for a saviour and were baptised, they looked forward to the coming Messiah, to the salvation work that he would do, and whereas today we look back on the work um, that was done by Christ on the cross. So you read that people were coming and being baptized. And we can understand that these are people who John the Baptist has brought the the gospel message to you, a need for a savior, for salvation from sin. And they've heard this message, not just with their ears, but with their heart, with their whole self. And they have responded and they've experienced an inward transformation and through God's saving grace. It's the end of that chain reaction. John and his followers are coming forward and they are baptizing this outward sign of a testimony. And being proactive in his service to God, John the Baptist was out. He was living out his calling. And so much so we're reminded in verse 24 there, if you look, that John the Baptist was thrown in prison for his faith, his proactive preaching of the gospel, applying that to all those around him in different circumstances. You see, for John, proactively following God's plan didn't involve an easy task. It involved standing out. It involved opposition as well, much like it does for us today, we think, as we live out the various callings that God has for our lives. So firstly, being reminded that John is proactive in his following of God, I wonder what you think of when you think of a proactive Christian or a follower of God. wonder what comes to your mind. Maybe you think of 
huge Christian charities that are out fighting maybe things like child poverty in the name of Jesus. Maybe you think of worldwide senior pastors, Bible teachers who are writing books and preaching um, every day God's word all over the world to hundreds of thousands of people. Maybe you think of local pastors or ministers who slave away every day in the background to to make um, Sundays happen to shepherds, God, people, um, through the trials of everyday life. Maybe you think of friends or family who have been through so much yet cling to God and his word so seemingly effortlessly, day in and day out, proactively sowing God's word into their lives, focusing on their quiet time with God, proactively putting that first. And I wonder as you reflect on 2022 and last year, past year, your relationship with God and where you're headed with this short life, do you think of yourself as a proactive Christian this morning? Truthfully, are we proactive in our inward devotion and our outward devotion to God? Not just showing up to an outreach event once a year to um, put chairs away or help cater food or um, do things that, that are seen so that we're off the hook for another while, but actually proactively taking in, living out God's word and direction in our life. And it's a really standard uh, New Year's quote. You'll maybe already have heard it this year, being reminded of it, but it's so true. C.T. Studd once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see, being a proactive Christian is essentially another way of seeing how God views a genuine Christian. John the Baptist knows that he has to be proactive in his walk under God. And he lived it out. And so I wonder this morning, just to challenge you firstly, reminded of John and his character, I wonder, are you a proactive Christian this morning? Or truthfully, like we all do, do you need to maybe cry out at the start of a new year, cry out to God for mercy and help with that, being proactive this morning? Firstly, John the Baptist, he's proactive, and we see that through the gospel narratives. We're reminded there that he is proactive. But secondly, um, John is passionate. He's passionate. John is passionate about something that he knows. What's that that he knows? Well, he knows that God, Jesus, the predicted Messiah, he's far greater and far better than John himself could ever be. Why? Because Jesus truly is God. And if you cast your eyes at verses 25 to 26 again with me, verses 25 and 26, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Being productive and proactive, telling the people about Jesus coming, leading them to a saving faith um, in the Savior to come. John's opposition, much like that of Jesus' ministry, was to come from the religious Jews here we read in this passage, and we don't know who in particular, we're not given that because it's not um, important here, but the argument over Jewish ceremonial washing, if you like, came up as John was baptizing with water. Why? Well, as one author says, baptism for Jews just didn't make any sense. You see, using water, like the Jewish ceremonial washing, where Jews would use big, large jugs of water, and they would, um, the same ones Jesus used to make wine in back in chapter 2, they would clean themselves before prayer and for service. On top of this, Jews would have used a sort of um, water washing baptism um, act for Gentile um, cleansing ceremonies, ensuring that non-Jews uh, non were clean as they convert um, to, to becoming a Jew. However, the whole irony here is that John's baptism is a baptism that is demanded for repentance before God for all of mankind, 
not just for Jews, not just for Gentiles, but for both, for all of mankind. And we see that there in the text that um, the Jews are then confused about what is going on. And if you look there, referring to John the Baptist as rabbi, teacher, Lord, Messiah, it's used other places um, for Jesus. Um, scholars, writers will point out this is the only time in the whole um, gospel that the word rabbi is used for someone other than Jesus himself. What does all of that then tell us that's going on um, in this sort of petty argument that seems to be? Well, just as the Jews um, were concerned about religious matters, the disciples of John the Baptist as well were obviously concerned about their teacher's reputation. They didn't like that another teacher um, could be baptizing um, and gaining crowds with their followers. One commentator could add, um, in Acts 19, we'd we'd see that there are actually um, some people who, quote, were followers of John the Baptist, but didn't believe in Jesus. See, some of John the Baptist's followers viewed this whole baptism um, thing as an almost type of sports team. Um, They didn't like that another team um, with Jesus as their captain could be some sort of competition. As one writer paraphrases it or phrases it, um, John, the, Bible's, John uh, the Baptist's disciples were essentially saying this. He was saying, teacher, you know the one that was with you on the other side of the Jordan, looking back, the one you authorized with your witness? Well, he's now competing with us. He's baptizing too, and everyone is going to him instead of us. But just as Jesus um, wasn't baptizing himself personally, not to encourage this competition later, um, John the Baptist knocks similarly that competition mindset on the head. And we see that in the text. John the Baptist didn't like this competition idea. And his response, as we read it on here, shows us both this and his passion shining through as he responds. Verses 27 um, to 29, he responds. John answers, A person um, cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John starts off firstly here, and he undermines his disciples' dilemma with the very central fact that, quote, read there, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. In other words, as one author puts it, it's not possible for a person to succeed without heaven's help. Taking it further on, he states again, he again, he is not the Messiah. He's not the promised one to come. John the Baptist, he's essentially saying to his disciples, have you forgotten already? I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I am merely sent ahead of Jesus. It's not about me at all. It's a real potent corrective. It's... Um, the, the idea that John the Baptist, he must always play a secondary role to Jesus. He's passionately correcting his own disciples to be more like Jesus' disciples, to focus on Jesus, the actual Messiah, the center of the actual story that is going on here. And using that analogy of um, the bridegroom, you'll see there, it seems a bit strange at first, the analogy of a bridegroom and the friend who attends the bridegroom, John the Baptist lays it out clearly um, in his passionate response here. Jesus is the main character. He is the groom, if you like. And that John the Baptist himself is essentially like a a best man and type figure whose role is to tend to the groom himself. Um, So John the Baptist and Jesus, these two characters in the little story here that, that John lays out. Um, from personal experience, um, only a month ago, um, Lucy agreed to marry me. Um, and 
from behind the scenes and um, planning all of that and um, from personal experience and um, when it comes to the wedding um, I can agree that the best man um, is really the one who is helping with all the preparation work behind the scenes with the groom and um, organizing things sorting out little details taking real joy um, and being a servant in the whole process I can say um, from my best man at least. Um, and like the best man would um, selflessly serve the groom um, before a wedding, and um, we say that in the same sort of way, um, John the Baptist has been that sort of forerunner, best man type figure for Jesus coming as the groom. His church is the bride. And being attentive to Jesus, waiting and um, listening for him, seeing him arrive on the scene here, um, John the Baptist's passion shines out as he communicates that as a best man figure, he is full of joy, you'll read there, when he hears the bridegroom's voice. In other words, this is what really gives John the Baptist true joy and satisfaction, serving Jesus, the giver of everlasting joy. And showing that passion in his service uh, to God, to Christ, he says that joy is now mine. That joy is now mine and it is now complete. In other words, although people may want to leave John the Baptist and follow Christ and um, follow him, and that although Jesus might be gathering more attention, that contrary to the human condition that John the Baptist counts all of this as a real privilege that others might be focused towards Jesus. It's a real joy that he can serve Jesus and he's passionate about that. You put it really simply, one author says, John the Baptist is essentially saying, this is why my cup is running over. This is the assigned moment for Jesus to move into the center while I slip off um, into the sidelines. And you see from that passionate and um, real brief glimpse of John the Baptist, um, we know that he is passionate about his God and Lord. And so I wonder this morning, um, being reminded that John the Baptist is firstly proactive, secondly that he's passionate, what comes to your mind when you think of a passionate follower of God? Maybe you think of a, a church you're really emotional with their worship, it looks like they're really passionate at the front. Maybe you uh, think of people who just never stop talking about God. Maybe you think of um, elderly people who are looking back and connecting the dots of a life that is preserved and protected by God on the throne and who, who is really just joyful about that. Maybe you picture someone who just never finds it hard to get into God's word and, and read it and live it out. But I wonder this, do you think of yourself when you think of a passionate follower of God? And if we're in any way truthful again this morning, and um, the answer is probably no at times, isn't it? When life gets busy, and um, when trials hit, when hard times come, when life seems dull um, altogether, it's hard to keep in God's word, isn't it? It's hard to read God's word and be passionate about his promises on every page when life gets in the way. It's hard to battle the loss of a loved one and read God's word communicating um, his loving sovereignty, isn't it? It's hard to read God's word and see our purpose afresh every day when we just feel anxious and overwhelmed, lost and, and burnt out. And it's easy to relate to that famous hymn that we're prone to leave the God we love. But amidst those feelings and those thoughts and that come to mind, I wonder should we take encouragement to, with God's help, strive to keep that and nurture that passionate servant heart that we ought to have before God wonder do we again need to start this year in confession asking for help from God and keeping our passion for prayer and quiet times to start with and I'm no psychic but I can guarantee that in order to keep a passionate servant-hearted relationship with God following what we see mirrored really briefly about John the Baptist we're going to need God's help as we persevere this year but praise God as we ask for that help again that he will willingly help us and to aim passionately living 
for him this year in 2023. So firstly, John the Baptist, we see, are reminded he's proactive. Secondly, he's passionate. Um, and thirdly, he is reminded from this passage that he is prideless, okay? Uh, we could say humble, but prideless filled with the P. He's prideless. Reminded from this passage, John the Baptist is prideless in his service to God. If you recap, have a quick look again with me at the text. Verse 30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Or in the NIV, if you have it there, he must become greater. Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. And like we mentioned at the start, when I think of a really admirable motto or mission statement, maybe from the Bible, this is what comes to mind. Those eight words from John 3, John the Baptist's life purpose, his chief aim, his end goal, that he, Jesus, God, the Messiah, the main character of the story, must increase, he must become greater, he must be at the forefront, and that I, John the Baptist, must decrease, must be of a lesser focus, must become less in authority and popularity, and must be made inferior to Jesus. And as we read those eight words found only in John's gospel, this exact passage this morning in the whole Bible, he's essentially summarizing in a really special way what he's already reasoned to his own disciples as followers, that he himself is merely just John the Baptist. He's not the main character of the story. He was only ever meant to introduce Jesus to the center stage. And now that he's done that, people, including his own disciples, ought to be looking to Jesus, the main character. You see, knowing his role, knowing his place, he's voicing again um, to his disciples that John the Baptist, um, he's voicing again that they should look um, to Jesus. And he's really, what we're seeing through here is that John the Baptist is prideless in his job and his service to God. Now, technically, coming back to the word prideless, um, it might not be in every dictionary, okay, prideless, and perhaps it isn't always classed as a, a real word, okay? But hopefully we understand the concept that John, despite his um, popularity and following, despite having such a unique and important role, remember, in the whole history of mankind, um, once and for all, he doesn't let pride go to his head. And sure, as a human being, he'll have had some forms of pride in his own heart. But after all, you know, he isn't Jesus. But overall, seeing his character here, we're reminded that John the Baptist is prideless in his, in his pursuit of God, in his following of God. He is humble. He really has God's interest at the forefront of his priorities. And if we kept reading on, um, we could easily make the mistake that um, John is speaking on, uh, John the Baptist is speaking, and he keeps going on. It's like a, a mini sort of sermon summary, three verses 31 to 36, and he's reaffirming that pridelessness that he has. But if you look closely at your Bible, and you'll maybe notice that the quotation marks might end or maybe start at verse 30, um, depending on which version you have. And um, some scholars will say that um, these next verses that are from John the author um, should belong um, before the verses we just read. Some would argue that um, it's a conclusion to the, the passage before, and because it fits in there quite well too. But even though these final verses are not the actual spoken words of John the Baptist, um, I think we're safe to agree with most commentators and scholars who would suggest that placed here in God's word, in John's gospel, without mistake, um, that this um, is John the author summarizing further what, what we've been thinking about. So even though we're switching there, we've got to be careful between John the Baptist's words and John the author. And um, here in the text, we don't have to worry. And um, they're still more than relevant to what we're thinking about John the Baptist's character and his motives as he lived out his purpose under God. 
Reading verse 31, reaffirming um, again what we thought about. He comes from above, is above all. Again, Jesus, if you think about Jesus, is far above anyone. Never mind that. Um, and never mind John the Baptist. And he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. We read there. Again, John the Baptist is merely a man preparing the way for Jesus. And that he who comes from heaven is above all. And we're seeing that repeated by John the author now. Why John the Baptist is prideless in his service. The fact that Jesus is above and beyond any human, no matter how seemingly special he or she is. And we read that in verse 31. We're we're given more um, credible reason for why John the Baptist acts the way he does. Pridelessly placing Christ in the center stage. And so that brings us to the following question. Being reminded that John the Baptist is proactive and he's passionate. Thirdly, that he's prideless. How prideless or how humble and selfless are we in our Christian walk and service this morning? How prideless are we in our day-to-day Christian lives and devotion as we look back on last year? Does our pride get in the way of our pursuit of God? And if we're in any way honest this morning, our answer is, of course, yes, at times our pride does get in the way. And living now, 2023, and what is... um, in some uh, magazines and newspapers that are read about the culture of the, or the culture of the selfie, the culture, the culture of the selfie. Um, it's the idea that most of us are self-centered, we're prideful, we're arrogant when it comes to getting our own way. The idea, again, of a selfie is that we're focused all on ourselves, taking a photo of ourselves. We're always sticking cameras in our faces, trying to get the best light or the best angle, and um, all of that. And that really sums up how we act as human beings. If we're not careful, that selfish and worldly mentality of me first that can creep into every aspect of our lives at work, home, and wherever you meet friends, at the football club, at family gatherings, at church, and in our own quiet conversation time with God. Our priorities can push God out. Prayer can become a a sort of give me Santa type of list. God's word can become an optional sort of drag of a task in our everyday how and why? Because we're prideful. We want to put ourselves first. We want to be the king of our own kingdom, if you like, because that's the sinful way that we're naturally wired, isn't it? So as we think about this year and that we stepped into 2023, about our service to God, I think we can agree from, from John chapter 3 this morning that, that, that John the Baptist um, would have been disgusted at the idea of a, a me-first culture. And so that begs the question, what are we going to put first this year? ourselves, our own pride of what we think we need and what we think we want to do and achieve or God's priorities. Perhaps we need to be conscious again and prayerful about that at the start of a new year. So John the Baptist, he's proactive, he's passionate, and he's prideless. And lastly, we're reminded in in the last verses that he's purpose-driven, okay? You were reminded that he's purpose-driven. If you look at verses 32 and um, to 36 with me again, we'll see that the writer, um, John, um, sort of gives us the differences between John the Baptist and Jesus. And he says, verse 32 down to 36, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. 
what's happening here in these verses? Well, thinking again about John the Baptist and his admirable pursuit of God, we're reminded that just as Jesus was obviously purpose-driven and sharing the good news, um, even when people rejected him, that likewise John the Baptist was purpose-driven too. See, for John the Baptist, preparing the way before Jesus didn't look like all sunshine and rainbows, as you could say. People thought he was a weirdo, for lack of a better term. Um, even down to his diet, never mind the claims that he was making. And like we read in verses 32 to 36, John the author reminds us how Jesus was rejected by mankind because of the news he bore. We can look back on John the Baptist's life and we're reminded that bearing the same good news that he bore the same rejection, same type of rejection. Now, this is not to say that absolutely everyone rejected um, the good news. We've looked and we've seen about the baptisms that people were coming, being baptized by John. But as a whole, John the Baptist had to be purpose-driven in the face of rejection. For example, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, um, people are even saying that John the Baptist had a demon. That's what people thought of John the Baptist and, and what he was all about and how he lived. So like Jesus' testimony of the gospel was rejected, John's testimony faced opposition as well. But just like Jesus, as God become man, had the goal and the purpose to, toward the cross and persevered in his earthly ministry, with God's help, John the Baptist was able to do the same. He showed himself throughout the gospel accounts to be a purpose-driven man. And if we'd lots more time, we could flick back and through the gospel accounts and we could see that how John the Baptist had a one-track mind about his daily purpose every day, making Christ and his gospel known. See, simply put, just as people rejected the very Son of God and what he had to say, people were rejected what John the Baptist had to say. People thought he was mad. The way he talked, the way he lived, the way he got on, people, it would have been a laughing matter for some people. But through all of that unbelief, that opposition, from what we see about John the Baptist in the Gospels, we know that he saw his role um, through to completion, slipping out the center stage, having completed um, his task, and um, not the nicest end, but um, he saw his task through to completion. Even though it would have been so hard back then as it is now um, to prepare the way for Jesus, John was purpose-driven. So what does that mean for us this morning? Reminded again of John's character. Thinking about New Year's resolutions, I wonder, have you made any and managed to keep them so far? Mine was to um, join a gym. I have joined the gym. I haven't been to the gym yet, but um, that's next week. I joined it last week. Um, but we can all agree, can't we, that someone who is genuinely purpose-driven is someone who follows through um, the task ahead of them. And it's interesting to know that uh, apparently, according to um, American research, um, that, quote, of those who make a New Year's resolution, after one week, 75% are still successful in keeping it. After two weeks, the number drops to 71%. After one month, um, the number drops down again to 64%. And after six months, 46% of the people who make a New Year's resolution are still successful in keeping it. Who's 46, maybe set the bar really low, it doesn't give us that, but 46%, not even half, are successful in keeping their New Year's resolution. But you see, as we think about John the Baptist this morning, God wants us firstly to believe in and receive um, his son, turning away from our sin, seeing that we need the good news of a saviour that John the Baptist was all about. And if you haven't done that this morning, can I encourage you and challenge you with that, that you do need a saviour, that you are born sinful into this world. But secondly, 
God also wants us to, like John the Baptist, be purpose-driven in our pursuit of God this morning. And so I wonder what comes to mind when you think of a purpose-driven follower of God. You see, God wants us to be driven not by a sole purpose to work harder and climb the corporate ladder, but still remain a Christian on the side. He doesn't want us to be someone who's driven um, just to make their family life, their sole purpose and existence, what they live and breathe. God doesn't want us to be someone driven by the sole purpose to find a job or the spouse that they think will make them happy and fill that empty void inside. You see, like John the Baptist, God wants our sole purpose to be centered around Christ, knowing him, loving him, and making Christ known. Perhaps again, as we reflect on John the Baptist's character up on the screen there, and we see his character shine through, that we should be praying about focusing our purpose uh, on Jesus again this year, on our, our purpose, our everyday purpose. So hopefully then, as you look at those, um, at those verses, you look at the passage there as a whole, there's a lot going on there. We've only scraped the surface, but hopefully you can see John the Baptist's character shine through. He's proactive, he's passionate, he's prideless, and he's purpose-driven as well. And if anything this morning, as you go away from the second half of John chapter 3, if you're not going to remember any of those um, words that begin with P, that's fine. But could I ask you to remember this? That as we said at the start, sometimes humans have mottos, mission statements, if you like. And John the Baptist was, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Jesus must become greater and I must become lesser. So as you continue on into this year, 2023, let me finish and ask you this final question. Truthfully, what is your motto for 2023? Let me just pray, and then I believe we're handing back. Um, Father God, we just thank you um, for your word again, for the privilege it is to have copies of your word, multiple copies probably in our home, and and to be coming around it um, on a Sunday morning publicly and and hearing um, the challenge of your word. Thank you, Father, as we think about um, John the Baptist and him looking forward to the coming Messiah, the Christ, and the work that then happened later on at the cross. And we um, reflect on that this morning. We're so grateful and thankful um, that all of our sin, past, present, and future, has been dealt with by Christ on that cross. And we pray, as we think about the new year that we stepped into, we pray that this year, 2023, that um, we would, um, with your help, um, we can come to you and that you will help us with um, those characteristics that we thought about of John the Baptist, that we could live out. And our motto this year could be that Christ must become greater and we must become lesser. We pray for your help implemented in our lives this morning, Father, and we just thank you and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.